Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Trending. What a show today. Starting out of the gate with a question for you. Have you ever had a cannonball moment? Have you heard of this? This phrase refers to St. Ignatius of Loyola and the literal cannonball that crushed his leg, leaving him broken and wounded. But we know that wasn't the end of his story. It ended up becoming the very vehicle that led to his sainthood and the best thing that ever happened to him. And before that disaster, he was brash and arrogant, did not practice his faith, and really full of hubris, focused on the mission of warfare, of, of battle as a soldier. And then in 1521, as he was leading Spanish troops, he was wounded by a cannonball to his legs. The battle was lost, and his dreams of all the battlefield glory were instantly altered forever in one moment. And then he goes into that long recovery, the convalescence. The only thing he had was a book and a bed. He had the bed he was recovering in, and two books, one about the saints, one about the life of Christ, and the rest is history. St. Ignatius of Loyola would go on to transform his life, repent, and become the founder of the Society of Jesus and commission into the army of the communion of the saints. And what a story, what a moment when we think about our own lives, a cannonball moment. So I want to talk about that today. Father John Michael Paul is the pro-provincial of the Americas for the community of St. John. He recently had a, a COVID cannonball moment, I guess you could say. And today he joins us on the program to give an account of what happened when he was placed in solitary confinement. How can we learn to accept disappointments and even defeat as God sent and carry on with peace of heart and in confidence in God when we are in the midst of isolation and a deep barrenness. We will talk about that. Father will walk us through. And also, today is Thursday, which means it's marriage hour here on Trending. On the second half of the show, John Sablon will be with us. He is the founder and the president of World Ablaze Ministries. Among his work, he is also the host of a podcast. It's called To Have and to Hold with his wife, which he co-hosts they together, John and Nicole, about the keys to a sacred successful sacramental marriage and the challenges, the beauty of what they've learned over the decades. So he'll be with us to share that on the second half of the show. So jam-packed today. So glad that you're with us. My name is Brooke Taylor, in for Timory. Delighted to be back with you. The number to call is one 914 9149. That's the number to call. Our first guest, again, Father John Michael Paul. He joined the Brothers of St. John in 1997. What a story. Was teaching in the Los Angeles Unified School District and then took a job 
in Russia, in Siberia, working for the Russian Academy of Sciences. And that's just a hint of the adventure that he has been on with our Lord ever since. He earned a master's in philosophy from the University of Paris and for 18 years lived in Europe between France and Lithuania and the island of Corsica, currently now the pro-provincial of the Americas for the community of St. John and really can be found in almost all continents throughout the planet, but at this moment residing in Paris and up late for us. So grateful for that. Bonjour. Welcome, Father. Welcome. Thank you so much, Brooke. It's a great joy to be with you. What a wonderful it's time to be with you on the tele on the radio show. It's just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I forgot to mention, too, with all of the um, travels that you've been on, the Holy Land as well. We've been blessed to partner for three wonderful pilgrimages. We'll be going back again, so an invitation. But how long are you in Paris? Because you really, truly are all over. Well, I am all over. Actually, I'm in the southern part of France, not far from Lourdes right now. And it's a wonderful spot to be. I was just in Lourdes today. I took a good friend of mine, Ivan, his brother Jean-Pierre, and his mom, Maria Carmen. We went to Lourdes. We sat in the grotto. We went into the basilica, and I gave them an early wake-up tomorrow morning. It's already 1 o'clock in the morning my time, but we're going to get up early because we're going to get there to go into the baths, to bathe in the water oh, that wow. comes from the grotto. So that's going to be a really exciting moment because I haven't been able to do that since – COVID. And it's only been opened again since the month of April. So it's a real privilege to be able to do that. And I'll carry so many atten intentions with me as I go into the baths and have that wonderful chance to go into the water and be just sort of lifted down into the waters and then pulled right back up. So it'll be an amazing moment. Well, it's an answer to prayer to even be speaking with you. Your voice is strong. You're traveling to be able to go into these baths because I'm sure I wonder if there was a time where you thought what would normal be like again that you had known to be able to do this and to fulfill your ministry and your call because of what happened with COVID. And so I want to I want to talk about that. And I first just want to thank you for your willingness to share something that was quite traumatic and not easy to talk about, but I think it's important and just grateful for your yes to share this experience. Absolutely, Brooke. Well, I can go into it. I, we can start off uh, being the pro-provincial, also the prior of Laredo in Texas, traveling quite a lot. Uh, went to Rome in November, beginning of December for the General Prior's Council. From there, I went and visited our house in Orange, had the visit there. Came back to Laredo. Uh, this was towards the end of December, just before Christmas. And, you know, the first couple of days was fine, but then just sort of feeling off, feeling sort of strange. Hmm, that, what's going on here? And as the days were going by, just feeling more and more off and starting to have what I later on found out was called brain fog. You know, things just weren't functioning. And after Christmas, we had a guest uh, who had not been well, and so the guest tested positive for COVID. And then a brother that I was with tested positive, so I put myself into isolation. And two days later, I tested positive. And what happened is that anxiety, depression, brain fog, really not wanting to live was getting stronger and stronger. And within very few days, I just did not recognize myself. It was the very un. I don't know how you can say it better, but I just didn't know who I was anymore. It was like, what has happened? Well, to and me? I was going to say, Father, you you said this is something that 
was very uncharacteristic of you your entire life. You had never felt this way. And all of a sudden, it just came out of nowhere. Well, I mean, back many, many years, uh, if you go back over 30 years, there were moments that were difficult as well. But this has been, you know, for such a long time and with such amazing um, uh, graces, being ordained to the priesthood, having a position of authority, uh, making decisions, being, you know, the organizer and things like this, leading the community, or at least being a spearhead for the decentralization, the government of our community. So working on many different levels, and then all of a sudden to have this sort of like uh, stop, it was it was beyond words. Uh, what was easy one day became hard the next day. What was a simple decision became excruciating. What was the ability just to sleep became impossible. So I stopped sleeping, anxiety, depression, all these things came up. Uh, and then having to not see anyone because you're positive. So that sort of adds into the drama. Uh, and we were two brothers at the time. The other brother on the 3rd of January ended up testing negative. So then I went into complete isolation in another building across the street and was there for another week and things just kept getting going down, 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 and down. And finally, I was hospitalized. And in that hospitalization, it was, you know, 18 days of complete uh, basic confinement, you know, being looked at every 15 minutes and given different kinds of medications that each one of the medic, three of the medications given said, this makes you feel suicidal and things like this. Um, and just thinking, this is terrible. You know, you just, you're just completely stripped. I wasn't able to say mass. I wasn't able to have my Psalter. Uh, I had 10 garments, you know, that were, that I was able to have four at a time, uh, just two covers. It was a very, very difficult moment. I don't know how to say it otherwise than with those simple words, but you can understand it was much more difficult than just saying difficult. And the only thing that I had, I mean, I could only say one prayer. And the only prayer I could say was the Lord Jesus Christ, and living, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And uh, Jesus that's prayer. the only sort of consolation that I had. It was uh, very, very difficult, you know, watching well, the time I, just I sort of go by day, <laughs> night, day. So, uh, yes, and it was one and of you, those cannonball moments that you described so well where everything I was doing, you know, celebrating mass, uh, going to visit different priories, uh, attending the General Priors Council, all that taken away temporarily, but all away and never knowing if it was going to come back. Uh and realizing that the only way I was going to get to go forward was to just take it one day at a time, to move forward one day at a time, and to sort of uh, accept losing face, accept just saying, okay, <laughs> it's all gone. That's all I have. I, it, it's, it's all gone. And once that acceptation came through, and then also asking the general prior for a uh, act of obedience that I could follow. Where do I go? And he said, you go to France, to the very house where I'm at right now. Uh, but this was back in, in February. And it was when I got there that I was able to get off of the medications, that I was able to, you know, wean myself off. And lo and behold, I was better. But it was just an incredible, uh, very deep, dark experience. And in some ways, a living nightmare. 
It really was. And uh, well, it took quite a while I, to sort of unpack. And I know you still are, even though it was months ago, but you talk about such a monumental, intense experience. And that's why I wanted you to share your story, because I know you've been in placed in situations of great austerity before. You've you've talked about that when we mm-hmm. were in the Holy Land. And and this is a place of barrenness. It's it's a place of discernment of spirits. There, there's a saying of the Desert Fathers, stay in your cell and your cell will teach you everything. And we could spend the entire show just on that concept. But because it was, in a way, this mystical mount of temptation for you there, this isolation and where you encounter the enemy and it's purgative, but perhaps maybe even illuminative as well, could you share some insights that you gained through that time, maybe even about your own sanctification and the will of God through this really in time that I think a lot of people can relate to who have suffered with COVID, who were isolated. And thanks be to God, you know, I I know not everyone healed physically, but you were able to recover. Right. I mean, thanks be to God for that. Um, Many people I've talked to have said they have not felt the same since COVID. And there there is something that changes. There is something that definitely does change. Um, And I think that for me, it was really a moment of great temptation, that's for sure, a moment of the presence of the enemy, who is our accuser, you know, saying, you know, you're not forgiven, you know, you you know, and all the things that we can hear from the enemy. And having to learn, which is something that's still a process, to accept forgiveness, to accept salvation, to accept that I need a savior, to accept that I need uh, the healing grace of the sacraments, and that that's okay. And that's what the Lord came for. And I think that is something that has been a gift. You talked about St. Ignatius of Loyola being brash and arrogant and, uh, you know, the field glory of the battle. Uh, And I think that this whole experience has slowly taught me humility, which I think is a very important thing. I'm not saying that I'm expert in it by any means, but it's a step. And to realize that everything I'm able to do is so much a gift of the Lord and that the effects of COVID, I didn't know that I was experiencing the effects of COVID. I thought just from one day to the next, I went crazy. You know, I went, I went, Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know what happened. And then it was when I saw a priest here in France who said, Father John Michael Paul, you must understand one thing is that COVID does not just affect the lungs. It affects the whole person. And with those words, it didn't make sense right away. But, you know, I had to sort of piece things together. Uh, And those words helped me. Sometimes when you're doing a puzzle, you need just to get one piece that helps to bring the other ones together. I don't know if you ever had that experience in a jigsaw puzzle. But when you get get to a certain point and then you feel like you're over the cap and it's all going to get together fast. That piece helped me to bring the other pieces together. And then my job was to help piece things together for those that, saw me go through it because you can imagine for me i didn't know what was going on but for others who saw me all of a sudden from one day to the next you know change is like whoa and so to help piece that together for them and there's a healing process for those who did see me go through this that is going to be a process that will take time but i think that one of the things that's important is that for those who have covid and have gone through this that it's not your fault i saw someone just afterwards in April, who was going through the very same thing, depressed, anxiety, not sleeping, almost really not wanting to live. 
And I said to the person, just understand, this is not you, this is COVID. And the person said, your presence has been such a consolation for me because I thought also I was just going crazy. And so it was only afterwards that certain studies came to my attention that were sent to me. Uh, one from Johns Hopkins University, it talked about the neurological and neuropsychiatric effects of COVID. And if you think about it, COVID can attack, attack the central brain cortex and make you lose taste, smell, sleeping. It can also affect other things. And it can have neurological effects. I know of people that having had COVID, now it's as though they have um, like Parkinson's disease. They can't sleep. They can't walk. And I know other people who had COVID, the same question of not sleeping anymore, feeling depressed, anxiety, and all those sorts of effects. And so we're going to, with these years that come, be able to unravel all of the surprising effects that this virus has had on the human person. And so I would have never guessed that this would happen to me. Never. So <laughs> Well, through through your story and especially after having heard of the time and in, in the confinement and just the the purgative difficulty of that cross, I it re it reminded me to revisit the life of and the work of Servant of God Walter Chiswick. And he was a Jesuit priest that spent twenty-three years in Russia. Fifteen of those years were spent in confinement, in hard labor, in the gulag, in Siberia. I know you were in Siberia, thankfully it was not for the purpose of a prison camp. But in his memoir, uh, it's called He Leadeth Me. Father Chizik says this, and I think it's so emblematic of your own story and for so many of us uh, going through difficult times. This is what he recounts. He says, it's much easier to see the redemptive role of pain and suffering in God's plan if you are not actually undergoing pain and suffering. It was only by struggling with such feelings, however, that growth occurred. Each victory over discouragement gave me increase in spiritual courage. Every success, however fleeting, in finding the hand of God behind all things made it easier to recapture the sense of purpose and a new day of seemingly senseless. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, I want to touch on reconstruction, the holy work sure. of being made new, being made into a saint, and just the process of Metanoia, I know you talk about that, Father, through suffering and, and our Lord's lessons for us. Father John Michael Paul is joining <laughs> us from France. He is the pro-provincial of the Americas for the community of St. John. We're talking about an unexpected turn of events that saw him in solitary confinement after his COVID diagnosis and what he experienced through that period of intense isolation, what the desert, desert fathers, what our Lord, what the saints can teach us through those very difficult desert struggles. My name is Brooke Taylor filling in for Tim Coming up on the second half of the program on today's show, president and founder of World Ablaze Ministries, John Sablon, will join us. He is also a co-host of a show called To Have and to Hold with his wife, Nicole. And so he will talk about some key takeaways uh, that they've learned to a solid marriage. We'll be right back here on Trending. You're listening to Relevant Radio. Stay with us. So what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
father, John Michael Paul, is the pro-provincial of the Americas for the community of St. John. He has traveled across the planet for the last 20 years or so. In fact, right now joining us from France and up very later, very early. So very grateful for that. And in a statement of God's healing, because months ago he was in isolation. So we praise God. This is such a moment of gratitude for the health of Father John Michael Paul. We've been, been talking to him about a remarkable turn of events and his encounter with our blessed Lord in the barrenness of that isolation. My name is Brooke Taylor in for Timory. This is a show I hope is shared because there is such a large number of souls so stricken with the psychological impacts of COVID or confinement of some type in general, even though we're two years out, still the impacts and the grief. And one of the greatest and, and most fundamental aspects of our faith is each of us being invited into a share of the Paschal Mystery. And you can find this episode on the relevant radio page, Trending's uh, program page, but also, of course, wherever podcasts are heard. And please pass this along to anyone who you think may benefit from Father's story. Father, I know we just have a few minutes left, but in the time that you were there and what you've endured, can you elucidate on some of the spiritual tools you deployed to help you? I know you talked about the Jesus prayer, and then as well as the process of reconstruction after your experience, where you are now and what that looks like. I know a big part of that is just recommitting every day to the abandonment of divine providence and God's will in your life. <laughs> You're so right, Brooke. I think the first thing is simply gratitude for being alive. Uh, the night I came back to the Priory, I did nearly die. I was given a medication that they said was for nightmares, but it was actually a high blood pressure medication. But I have naturally very low blood pressure. So when I went to sleep, my hands started to freeze up, my, my, my feet, and it started going down, you know, up my arms, up my legs. And I knew if I went to sleep, I would die. And so, and I was even in a sleeping that was good down to zero degrees. You know, I was in something that should keep me very warm and my body was giving out no heat. So just the very great joy of being alive. I think that's the first thing, gratitude. The second thing would be recognition of Jesus' lordship over my life. I'm not in charge. He's the one in charge. And he will lead me. I love what you quoted from Father Walter Sishik. You know, he leadeth me. And I think that's just a wonderful, wonderful sort of prayer. He's leading me and to recognize his lordship. And then I would say, lastly, would be asking Mary to lead me to her son and lead me to the father. And a word that comes to me is John chapter 14, verse 23, which is a verse that I love so much, where Jesus says this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will make our dwelling place in him. And to realize that the Lord wants to dwell in me. He wants to dwell in each one of us. And for each one of us, our lives are precious. Even if we pass through moments where we don't see the precious aspect of our lives at all. And I think that for those who have gone through COVID in ways that are similar than that I have, my word would be of hope. My word would be of perseverance. My word would be of it's not your fault. You're not crazy. This is a virus that has effects that we're not yet fully capable of knowing to you know the great extent of effects that it has. And to know that even though you might feel completely alien to yourself, that it's not you, it's this virus, it's this disease that is at work. Because there can be a great sense of guilt, a great sense of what did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? 
Now that can bring one to a sense of repentance and saying, okay, there are things I need to change. That's true. Always there are. And so I think that this was a, a, a nexus point for me to see things I needed to change in my life. And so those would be the words that I would say for that reconstruction process. Again, gratitude just for being alive, recognition of the Lord Jesus' lordship in my life, and asking Mary to take me to the Father with that verse, John 14, 23. Thank you. We have Hillary. I want to take Hillary's call on the line now from San Diego. Are you there, Hillary? Yes, I am. Hi, it's Hillary. You're on with Father. Father Dominic, I, I sense that you are having a dark night of the soul, and I'm calling from my COVID bed right now, and that's why my voice is like this. But I wanted to share with you that um, the first two clauses of the Our Father can be summarized like this, for your glory, O Lord, and for the advancement of your kingdom on earth. And if you would say that every time you're having a, a sad moment, it would help. For your glory, Thank you Lord. so much. Mm, thank, thank you, you very much, God Hillary. You. Beautiful and words. Tonight, in our rosary, we need to lift up Hillary as well as you, Father. But I love that with, with the Our Father, the Potter Noster. And I know uh, we have to wrap up, but I want to end with another quote because it's so good and really summarizes everything you just said, Father, about gratitude for being alive and that mm -hmm. you, that it was necessary. And, and we are all called to be picking up our cross and and when you know as Hillary had mentioned the dark night of the soul and to lift it and so this is another quote by servant of god father walter chiswick mentioning earlier in our conversation and your story causing me to revisit his story that he was in russia for 23 years imprisoned he was falsely accused he was an american priest of being a spy there 15 of those years were in solitary confinement and this is what he had to say for each of us the trials will come in different ways and at different times. And for some, self may be easier to overcome than for others. But we were created to do God's will and not our own, to make our own wills conform to His and not vice versa. We can daily pray for the grace to do this without always meaning it. And we can promise quite easily in prayer that we will do it. What we fail to see is how much self still resides in that promise and how much we are trusting in our own powers when we say that we will do it. Christ had to suffer opposition and contradiction and yes, humiliation in doing this, his Father's will. Yet he was constantly intent on forgetting self entirely and glorifying the Father by his actions. And if we are truly to imitate Christ in our lives, we must learn to do the same. Powerful, powerful, and lived, and I know echoed by by your own testimony now, Father, and just wanted to thank you for your witness and hope that maybe you'll take our prayers with you as you go to Lourdes tomorrow, as well as Hillary and, and our intentions. yes, and you can send them, uh, you can send all your intentions to me. You know what my chat is, and so I'll be happy to take all those intentions to the grotto. I will. We will, Father, and can you take us out in a blessing before you go? Absolutely. May the Lord allow you to see the beauty in which you were created, the love and truth that went into each moment that God has cherished your very being. And may this always be a consolation 
and give you the strength and the commitment to seek out the Lord's will and to accomplish it to the best of your abilities. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you, Father. Merci. God bless you, Brooke. With you. Have a great rest of your show. Bye-bye. Thank you. God bless you. And we commend, Father, to our Blessed Mother in the prayers of the Rosary coming up after the show, united across the country and really across the world as, as fathers in France, for God's favor upon Father John Michael Paul, his priesthood. We pray for Hillary as well, who just call in all of those who are still suffering from the impacts of COVID in some way. And thank you again to Father John Michael Paul. God bless you. It is Brooke Taylor in for Timory today on Trending, and it's marriage hour also. I cannot think of a better friend to kick us off on the marriage hour theme. Take a listen. I think this voice will be familiar to you. One day Adam was out walking with Cain and Abel on either side of him. They passed the wreck and ruin of the beautiful garden of paradise. And Adam pulled the boys to himself and gestured in and said, Boys, that's where your mother ate us out of house and home. <laughs> That is our saintly friend. Yes, our marriage mentor, Venerable Fulton J. Sheen, always with the jokes. He had the best jokes, just a master of sacred showmanship and the work of reaching souls. And oh, is that wonderful. It's a Life is Worth Living episode on, it's called Marriage and Incompatibility. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but it is Entering into the theme here on Trending of Marriage Hour, joining us is the president and founder of World Ablaze Ministries and the podcast, To Have and To Hold, which he co-hosts with his wife of over 25 years, Nicole. Welcome to the show, John Sablon. Welcome. Hey, Brooke. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. I know Fulton Sheen is a bit of a tough act to follow, but I know he's a mentor <laughs> of yours also. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. He is definitely somebody that um, I ask for his intercession often and actually was blessed to uh, venerate his tomb. Um, so I, he's very near and dear to me and my family's heart. Well, and in that episode where we just played that clip, it was a joke that he shared about Eve. He talks about that it's normal to have tensions, that we're built this way, that it's a refinement process in marriage. And I know you talk about that in your podcast and expectations and what a person is and what a person ought to be, and that we are in the business of getting each other to heaven in our marriages. Mm -hmm. And that's certainly a work of refinement and that we shouldn't expect a perpetual honeymoon. So I guess I wanted to just launch into that first part is just how much do you think unrealistic expectations play into the way that we approach marriage? Oh, uh, a ton. I mean, in the work that both Nicole and I do um, in the different ways that we minister to couples, um, it's one of the most common themes where, you know, couples come in with a, a specific thought or expectation of their spouse, even unbeknownst to them, right, where they, they, they have this expectation, um, not really thinking that it, it's going to uh, cause issues in their marriage. And then when that expectation isn't met, then boom, things explode. Um, you get the cannonball moment, right? Where you have uh, the reality of who you are as humans. And sometimes where we perhaps deify our spouse or deify our kids and, and, and put the, the, the focus and the attention in the wrong way um, and have the wrong expectation of one another in relationships and in marriage. 
And there's so much there because we know, of course, the the spiritual battle from the very beginning with the fall of Adam and Eve is that that the the devil hates marriage, and, and that is the very cell that society is built on. So right from the start, a couple must be on guard with the spiritual warfare as well. And unless they have really good marriage prep, sometimes that's not even covered at all. And and so I want to ask you about that because one of the ways that we know the enemy gets in is through perception of right mm. away one person saying something, but then the spouse in their mind thinking, well, they really meant this or doubting the intentions of the other. And the more that we focus on the negative, the closer we approach hell, which I thought was very profound because in hell, the demons only focus on the negative perpetually forever. And it's not to say that we should put our hand, you know, our heads in the sand or that we shouldn't acknowledge, but that it's important to communicate before we assume and really to try to err on the side of not assuming they wanted to hurt my feelings or not assuming that they were offending me, but to communicate and to trust. And in your own story, I know that's part of your journey, just relearning the concept of self-sacrifice and cultivating virtues, because obviously that's what it goes back to as well, because your own background had that kind of toxic negativity. Can you kind of offer some tools as to how you learn to do that? Just kind of let go of the negativity. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's an ongoing process, just like conversion is, right? But to your point, I, you know, the, given my background, very traumatic, very negative, um, there's a lot to uncover there. And it's, it's a really, there's so much healing that needs to go on in marriage. And, and oftentimes, you know, part of that unrealistic expectation in that first question comes from our own family of origins experience and what was expected of us and, and what do we expect of others in the family unit and then therefore flows out to all of our other relationships. But I think specifically, like for me, coming into was just realizing how wounded I was from from my traumatic experiences and then what was I really bringing into the marriage um, and that's and gosh you can you can spend the next you know several weeks talking about that but what you know how was love communicated how did you know how was conflict dealt with in the family um, you know, structure how did how were how did we see God and how did we how do we see ourselves before God and therefore how do we see other and there's so much that flows from that very experience. So for me, it was uh, honestly Brooke. It, it took some time, both um, you know, seeking mental health uh, uh, assistance, um, spiritual direction, and really this full surrender to God and and really embracing and allowing myself to be loved as a beloved son of God. And I think that's where a lot of couples, when they come in with these um, kind of worldly expectations and um, don't do the homework, don't do the work personally, um, and kind of have this uh, unrealistic view of what marriage is, right? Love as an emotion rather than love as a decision and love as really a total gift of oneself. And so we talk about that self-sacrifice. If there was one, ever one vocation that taught you about all your defects and all of your selflessness that you have as a fallen creature, it's marriage, right? Marriage of family. Your, your spouse and your children will teach you just how, how selfish you are, how prideful you are, and they'll highlight all of your areas of opportunity, if you will, to work on virtue. And so for me, there was just a lot of healing that needed to take place um, uh, to be able to see myself first as a beloved son of God who was loved not because of what I did or what I haven't done, but just because I am a child of God. 
And, and then that kind of started to right size my view of myself before God. And then it started to work on my relationship with my wife, Nicole, and then with my kids and so on with everybody else. And so it takes, it's a lot of work. Um, but, but if you're committed to it, uh, God can heal you in some amazing ways, which we're living proof and testimony of that. And it's humility also. So what was it for you, the thing? Was it your wife kind of transmitting virtue and grace to you? Was she the stronger of the two in that regard in your marriage? What was the breakthrough that made you realize I'm bringing in and to see that? Because again, that's humility to actually see I have some unresolved traumas and I need to deal with that. I think that's very difficult sometimes, particularly from the man's standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things is, you know, we have a, a a divine potter, right? He prefers to work with clay, but often deals with bricks like knuckleheads like me. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's humility is obviously uh, the, the first thing towards that leads us towards sanctification and virtue. But honestly, you know, you started off with, with Archbishop Fulton Sheen. And, you know, he, tell, he obviously ingests about Adam and Eve. And if I think about it, a lot of men suffer from what Adam suffered to, to begin with, right? We were given dominion and that first call to till and to keep and really to essentially those words in the ancient Hebrew languages to serve, protect, and defend. And, and, and Adam took, he went, he fell asleep, right? He, he, he did not do that. And so now we all suffer that consequence of the original fall. And so much like Adam and Eve uh, was my situation. Nicole was a convert to the church and to the faith, and she started, she fell in love with Christ and, and, and Holy Mother Church and started to um, really, you know, start to live that life, and I was over here asleep, much like Adam was, and so, you know, that, that caused, obviously, struggle and strife within our marriage and, and within our family life, because she was essentially doing the job of, of spiritual head, which is not her call as the way God design, designed, so, you know, ultimately, that, that cannonball moment for me was, um, you know, the reality that I could lose my marriage and my family if I did not uh, fully surrender my life to God, if I didn't make the necessary changes, if I didn't face the wounds that were impacting, um, you know, my own view of God, myself, and therefore my spouse and my kids and everyone else around me. And so it, it was it was the reality that, hey, you got to make changes or else there's going to be consequences to that. And so thanks be to God that my guardian angel and the provenial grace that that stood before me to actually respond to um, really that 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 moment of that crossroad to be able to say, well, what are you what are you willing to do to to save your marriage, to save your family, to improve, um, to to break, really break cycles? Both my wife and I are first generation cycle breakers, and so we both come from difficult backgrounds and from trauma and abuse and dysfunction, and so um, we really had to make a conscious choice. And for me, I was faith faced with losing the very thing that mattered the most to me. And when you talk about the necessary changes, what did that look like? You, you talked about getting uh, maybe counseling, but from a sacramental standpoint, was it, okay, I need to start going to Mass, make a general confession? Because I think there's a lot of people where they are looking for a roadmap. And of course, it's being conformed to the will of God and into the risen Christ. But in the day-to-day for you, how did he speak? And maybe what were some of those breadcrumbs that you started to pick up and follow? Yeah, um, a great question. I think um, a couple of things. I mean, the sacrament of confession is really uh, was the turning point um, w- when I was kind of going through the most difficult time in my marriage and family life um, where I was faced with this reality. Um, I actually attended a, a men's conference and, and, and was just so distraught over my current state. And um, I, I went to 
confession with the priest, and I was basically, like you said, giving a general confession of all the things that I could recall, even the things I've already confessed. And in the wisdom of that priest at that moment, he came from around the screen and was just like, praise God for the remorse that you feel in your heart. Do you mind if I do the deliverance prayer over you? Um, and, and I was still an idiot Catholic at that point. I was like, sure, let's do it. And he, <laughs> he literally broke out the book, book of prayers, had a crucifix bigger than my head, popped it on my forehead, and started to, to pray the deliverance prayer over me in, in Latin. Um, and he you know, absolved me of my sins, uh, doused me with holy water. And uh, for the next 45 minutes, uh, I laid prostrate before uh, the Blessed Sacrament and, and ultimately surrendered my life to God. And so it was through the Sacrament of Reconciliation that I was able to experience that rec- reconciliation with the Heavenly Father and then place myself before uh, Him in that Blessed Sacrament and really surrender myself. And really from that point, book, it became, it was like a 180 shift. It was like catapulting me into uh, the man that God designed and created me to be. And so Really, if you look at it, and you talk to any, you brought up Father Chad Ripperger, you know, uh, Father uh, Gabriel Moore, some of these uh, well-renowned exorcists will tell you that, you know, the silver bullet is not really a silver bullet. It's a sacrament of the church instituted by Christ. And so uh, for all of us that are really trying to live out, really, you know, you talk about the, the sacrament of holy matrimony. It's a sacrament. It requires the grace, the supernatural grace that flows in that sacrament, but also the help of the other sacraments in specifically that of the sacrament of reconciliation and, and that of holy communion because those two things will sustain us continue to keep us in the state of grace because you'll see in marriage that in a sacramental marriage that if there's issues between the spouse taking aside all the human issues that we have with uh you know our family of origins and some of the just the, the, the normal consequences of of original sin it, it, if there's big issues then more than likely one of the spouses is not in the state of grace and can't receive the grace required for that sacrament. And so for me, it's been really the exercise of the sacraments primarily with my wife and, and my children and and then working on that virtue every day through a prayer life, through a sacramental life, um, and, and through identifying, you know, where are the areas that I need to really work on that are impeding me from being what I should be as a father and as a husband. I want to ask you about particular prayer practices. You had mentioned not being in a state of grace, so that's going to bring us back to the the enemy, the spiritual warfare in marriage, but the restoration and the devotions that you found most efficacious. I, I know you've talked about the litany of humility, so we'll get to that after the break. John Sablon is the president and founder of World Ablaze Ministries, joining us on Trending. It's Marriage Hour. My name is Brooke Taylor, in for Timory. one 914 is the number to call to be a part of the show. We'll be right back. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
It is marriage hour on Trending. My name is Brooke Taylor in for Timory on vacation. So happy for the, the holy leisure, the blessing for her family. And joined now by with John Sablon. He is a man on fire, Catholic evangelist, podcaster. To have and to hold is the name of the show, co-hosting with his wife, Nicole, and married for over 25 years. John, we were talking before the break a little bit about this amazing story, your conversion, the deliverance prayers, just really like something out of a Mel Gibson film or something where you were talking about the priest with the giant crucifix and you there receiving the prayers of deliverance and really a transformative moment. But I think when you mentioned that being, you know, not in a state of grace and the deliverance prayers, it is important as we go back to, again, the idea, the truth, the reality that the devil hates marriage and that very cell of society is built on this foundation. Of course, it goes all the way back to the fall. And gender roles is another big area that the enemy attacks. Uh, One thing that I just find so interesting when you look at natural law, the hierarchy of authority, the demons know this and they observe it and that's why they go after it. And in the series that I was listening to, this teaching is that if a woman usurps the God-given spiritual leadership of her husband, she takes herself out from under his spiritual protection that flows from his office as the head of the household. And when that happens, can become vulnerable to the demonic. And it's it's really worth noting, you think of the diabolical roots of, of feminism, especially the second wave feminism and what we've seen. And I know that's something that you talk to a lot of couples about. You mention it, you teach it in your podcast, the importance of gender roles. Can you take us into that? Yeah, I mean, and that's a, a great point that, that the fact that whether a, a wife usurps that or the man advocates that responsibility, it becomes a portal for the devil because, you know, as chaotic and crazy and evil as demons are, they're very legalistic. They understand authority because they're still under the order of God, if you will. So it, it's so critical for men and women to understand this in, in the context of marriage. Um, and then it goes again back to, to the garden, to Adam. Um, but one of the, the scriptural passages I love to, both Nicole and I love to use in our marriage ministry is Ephesians 5, 21 to verse 32, because it's St. It's Paul's prescription for marriage. And it starts off as, right, be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it goes right into wives be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord. And then, of course, that's where people start to lose their mind because they're thinking, oh, my gosh, what is this? We're not equal. And people start to forget that, you know, verse 25 says that husband loves your wives as Christ loved the church, handing himself over for her. And and that's where that concept, as we were talking about earlier, of self-sacrifice, realizing that you are a, a gift to one another. Um, and so I, I think the, the roles are really key because I think people confuse um, – that the whole equality and equity piece, um, so we're equal, but we're not same, right, in, in the sense of function and role. And natural law shows us that as male and female, um, as, you know, man provides, and Archbishop Fulton talks about this as well when he, when he speaks about, um, you know, uh, female priests, when he talks about why is this such a big deal? Well, the man provides the seed and the woman receives the seed. She cultivates the seed. She fosters that seed. And so our roles are kind of defined. God created male and female for a reason, the way we're, we're, we're designed, and with specific um, roles in that. And so if you look at Adam being that primary and therefore every other man as the chief servant, protector, and defender of the home, and the wife being that heart, right, the one that's more internal, right? She came from inside of Adam. Um, and so I love the other thing that Archbishop Fulton talks about is that why are women more 
in, intuitively more um, open to God and, and more, uh, you know, connected to emotions and feelings. Well, they came from within Adam, whereas Adam comes from the earth, from the external. And so when we understand our roles, it, it means we are equal in the dignity before the eyes of God being made in his image and likeness, but we're not the same. And we have to fulfill those roles as it's required. And men in particular are the head of the home. They are the priests of the home. And so when we are fulfilling that, and studies will show you this, um, that there's several of them out there that will show that when the man is a spiritual leader of his home, the kids will follow, right? That they have a better chance of, of um, remaining in the faith in, in their adolescence and young adult years. Whereas if the woman's leading and the man is not, and then the, the likelihood of them having any faith at all is like 2%. Versus, you know, a seventy-five percent and greater chance of being in the face. So fulfilling our roles matter. Um, understanding, and it's just really the navigation and the ebb and flow of that brook. So that's the challenge sometimes with, you know, if you have a really strong personality wife and more timid. If you look at temperament, husband, how does that look in the context of, you know, the spirituality of the home and and the head of the household as it relates to protecting. You know, these are difficult things that couples are facing today that can cause some some consternation and and some difficulties. Right. And when you talk, John, about to provide and protect as a father, of course, we know it's also for the spiritual welfare too, not just the material Mm -hmm. welfare, to pray, to fast for our children, husband and wife. You know, that should start from the first day of married life and to Mm -hmm. to offer the sacrifices, to make penance for our children. And this is implicit because from mm-hmm. our children, you know, they see what a good man looks like, a good husband. They see what a good woman, a good wife, um, a good mother looks like. And you demonstrate this so beautifully uh, through your own ministry. So I know we're out of time here, but I just want to encourage people to visit you. You're the founder of World Ablaze. Is that the best place to find you online? Where can we connect with you? Yeah, yeah. You can find it at worldablaze.org. So just world as the earth ablaze.org uh, and that can get you connected to all of our social media you can find um, my tags on there we, we you know we're going to put links out to you know my my wife's a catholic therapist i got two catholic therapist children so there's a lot of resources that we can point you to because we are uh, also a family ministry trying to minister to families of the domestic church so i'm happy to connect with those that are that are listening and appreciate the time today brooke God bless you. Thank you. You know, I just saw about your son just receiving that title as a Catholic therapist, and do we need good ones? So thank you for all you do, your wife and your family. You got it. God bless you and for all the work you're doing out there, and I look forward to connecting again. Thanks, John. Thank you to my guest, Father John Michael Paul, the Pro-Provincial of the Americas for the Community of St. John, calling in from France, going to Lourdes tomorrow, caring intentions, and really grateful for his willingness to share a traumatic experience with us that he talked about his account with being placed in solitary confinement after being diagnosed with COVID. And we talked about cannonball moments in our lives. This, of course, referring to St. Ignatius of Loyola, who thought his dreams were crushed and his life was over after he was injured by a cannonball. But during that convalescence, all he had was a book and a bed. And because of that injury and those books, The Life of Christ, Another About the Saints, that's all he had. The worst turn of events in his life ended up being being the very thing that God used to to make him a saint and to change the world. And so for all of us, just a reminder that as it can be painful and the grief and the loss, we have a choice to respond and an invitation like the cross, not just to be weighed down and crushed by it, but to kiss it 
and to raise it and to know that in the cross is our salvation. Thank you again for Father John Michael Paul and John Sablon. My name is Brooke Taylor. It has been a joy to be with you this week as Timory and her family were on some vacation. You can find me online at The Brooke Taylor Show on YouTube, also via Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, One Brooke Taylor is how to find me. And I know that we are united in prayer, including Father John Michael Paul, whom we commend to Our Lady and the Rosary, along with John Sablon and his ministry, taking your petitions and the rosary across America. That's next. God bless you. Thank you to Jim Schraper and Patrick A. Log. My name is Brooke Taylor. God bless you. <laughs>